This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Joining me now on episode two of season two of the Draft Class podcast here on Nick's Film School, we've got Wilco from personally, and I said this last year, I'll say it again. He's got a YouTube channel where if you look it up on my account, it's a lot of red bars at the bottom of those videos because I watch everything this guy puts out through and through, and that is why I've got him on to talk to you guys about the 2023 NBA draft, the Knickerbockers of New York, how that specific ball club should go about navigating the 23 NBA draft. Wilco of floor and ceiling, one of my favorite, probably my personal favorite draft YouTube channel. I love Keandre. I love spins. I love everyone. But Wilco puts this spin, no pun intended, on his videos where it's so concise and so good. So I'm giving him his flowers right when he's here to get them. Welcome, man. Welcome to Draft Class. Thanks for being a returning guest. Season one, back for season two. It's a little bit different this year. No draft pick for the Knicks, which means we have everything to talk about. What's going on, man? How you doing? Yes, sir. Man, I appreciate you having me on. I'm doing well. You know, summer's finally around. It's Friday today. So, you know, feeling good about the end of the week, but really looking forward to breaking down some draft talk. You know, I think um, this 2023 draft is very interesting. I think sort of we started off with a very deep draft and we had, you know, a lot of guys in that second round range who in a lot of other years could probably, you know, push up into the first round. And I think you kind of see them having, you know, legit NBA roles in the future. But very recently after the draft combine, after some, some of the you know, pre-draft process and whatnot, I think we saw a lot of returners to school, which in turn you know, also made this class even more interesting because now that depth has been gutted in a way. I think that we're looking at a lot of more second round guys who are going to be in need of development, whether that comes you know, in the G League, behind closed doors, internationally, whatever the case may be. But this draft, I think, after Victor Wembanyama at number one, is still pretty much wide open. So really, we can dive into as much as we hope for. Absolutely, man. It's going to be a blast here. And the reason is, like you said, this draft class is really intriguing. I think it started out really hot. And now, like you said, you know, I think Zach Eady is a great example of kind of like what happened to these prospects. Um, and I choose Edie not to single him or call him out, but because the reporting over him in a 24 hour span was the story. And, and it came out, you know, Edie weighing, staying in the draft, weighing, returning to school. He's looking for a top 35 to 40 promise. And I said, ah. Um, uh, maybe it's like, I think, you know, to some extent as well, it's not unreasonable for guys to necessarily be looking for that just because, 
you know, if you're Zach Eady, you're somebody who for the last few years, you've absolutely dominated college basketball, right? And of course you have translation questions into the NBA. Even if I did think that, you know, he went some way to address some of them throughout the course of the season, but still it's always going to be more of an uphill climb for him, right? But at the same time, you're seeing someone like Peyton Watson last year, who's averaging, you know, four and three or something like that. He's a first round pick. He's somebody who, you know, hasn't played all season, but everyone is still feeling good about him. So in a way, I don't blame these guys, especially, you know, with the allure of NIL money, with all the eyes that college game, basketball has had on it in general, um, with Edie, you know, and even other guys. Um, I'm looking at Kyle Filipowski, for example, who I had, you know, at one point as a top 20-ish uh, guy on my board. He's back at Duke. Um, you know, multiple other guys in that sort of range. Adem Bona, for example, is another oh, one that pops one. out. You so, you know, we're sort of seeing all of these returners. And in a way, 2024 now sort of becomes a draft to watch as well with that depth that I thought we were going to get this year. But now, um, you know, I think that with the Knicks and with a few other teams who are in a similar situation, where they might not necessarily have a clear path right now towards obtaining a pick. Um, I do think there are tons of second round options for them still on the table. Absolutely. So let's talk about the Knicks here from a, a certain perspective for this 2023 NBA draft. No players attached, right? Don't think names here. I obviously in your head, you got to calculate, but if there were a range in this draft to, for a team to trade into that doesn't have a pick at all, obviously the top 10 is going to be your best shot at a big hit, but the cost, especially in today's market, maybe not worth it. What do you think is the best range in this NBA draft? Would you say it's those late twenties where guys that you've got in the teens might fall to depending on different factors. Would you say it would be the late thirties before you really get into the dart throws and, you know, guys that you'd have first round grades on, right? You, you get the gist. What, where's the value? Where's the juice in this draft that to, for the, that the Knicks could look at the orange tree and say, I'm going to make four glasses of OJ out of that one orange. I'm going to jump up and get that. You know, I think there's so much value sort of like sprinkled in across the first round, early second round. Um, I think it all sort of starts, in my opinion, with Gigi Jackson, because he's a guy who in a different situation, um, you know, I think let's not forget that he went to college one year early. He was supposed to go to North Carolina originally, which is, you know, on paper at the start of the season, at least was going to be a much better team than South Carolina where Gigi sort of, you know, really struggled, had to be the main guy. Efficiency was a big question mark. Some question marks about, you know, his attitude and approach to the game as well, although I don't really buy into those as much. But when we're talking about a guy like Gigi Jackson potentially falling into the 20s or even into the 30s, um, you know, you're seeing that really speak to the level of quality in this draft. I think that sort of starts around the mid twenties with Gigi with Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine as well, who in other situations could be, you know, a late lottery, um, you know, late teens sort of pick. But for me, the highest value in this draft for sure is 25 to 35. And I would even wager up to 40 because I think especially towards the early second round, there are a lot of guys there who are very intriguing, 
who fit the modern NBA very well and who I actually think, you know, put up pretty good seasons even this year, but are sort of being overlooked in favor of, you know, potential and, um, you know, maybe best case scenario. But some of these guys are ready to contribute right off the bat. Maxwell Lewis. That is a name. Um, he's someone who I've talked about on draft shows, live draft shows for Knicks Film School for this cycle as being one of my pre-lottery steals of the draft in terms of like before we even know the lottery results, before we even know who's picking where, wherever this kid goes is probably going to be a great value proposition for that team. You're getting a lengthy wing who can projectably pass shoot dribble. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, you think the defensive instincts can be developed there as well. I I've spoken um, to a scout for an NBA team who says that that's a, a lottery caliber prospect in a lot of other years. And, and that's, you know, an opinion I, I don't take lightly uh, being a, a league decision maker um, for, for a team. And, and I think that when you see Lewis, in Pepperdine, there's almost like the fade. Everyone's saying this is Jalen Williams 2.0. There's never a 2.0. Remember Draymond was instrumental and everyone was like, oh, Grant Williams is going to be this and this and that. And then Grant Williams was instrumental. So everyone was like, oh, David Roddy is going to be this and this and that. Mm -hmm. um, people love archetypes that they've recently seen succeed. And I think, you know, you see Trey Murphy look so good in new Orleans and other guys that people like to compare max to. And it's like, ah, you're biting at an apple. That's not there, but there's still lots of utility from someone like him. I, I, I want to talk about fit and maybe Lewis is a great example to do. So the Knicks have Obi Toppin who they mm -hmm. don't necessarily utilize in any of the ways that he showed he was good at basketball in college in um, they basically, if Obi's college usage was yin, his next usage has been yang, you know, like that is dead opposite. He's taken over 60% of his shots from three. It's, it's the highest number anytime in his life. Um, I, I, they're trying to repurpose him into a, a Trey Lyles type of type of player. And it's not going well. So I, I think that he's a candidate to be moved from based on everything I've heard. And, and you look at the fact that the Knicks have someone like Toppin. You look at the fact that in next year's draft, the Knicks are getting um, their own first round pick. They have mm -hmm. Dallas's first round pick. They have protected first round picks from Detroit and Washington. They're getting the better of Utah or Cleveland's second round pick. And then Detroit and Miami's second round picks are also theirs. They're protected top 55 and different things, but um it's likely that several of the seconds convey at least two of the firsts convey to the Knicks, maybe Dallas and New York, they get their own, right? Um, th there's no way a, a Nick team climbing the ranks of the Eastern conference is going to draft so many players. And so what would you make of a move where, whether as part of a larger three team deal, or even just in a one-off, oh, if the Knicks had to add two of those seconds to top in, but landed the 28th pick from Utah and someone like Max Lewis was right there. So, something where a team like Indiana is giving up a Duarte and a 29th pick, something where a team like Utah is giving up a 28th pick and maybe someone mildly promising. And that's why the Knicks throw in the seconds. Like they have capital they can use if they utilize top in, or is there someone else you would use? How would you look to get into that 25 to 35 range? If you were in New York. 
So I think there's a couple things to look at here. The first one is that I would for sure do it. You know, if I'm the Knicks and I can move into that range, I'm not going to say it's a no brainer, but you know, pretty close to that because I think that there are definitely some long-term NBA rotation players who you're going to be able to find in that draft. Then with the Knicks, there isn't exactly, I think, you know, a huge rush to sort of develop anybody into a big role for next season. I think that's often what happens with a lot of teams who are, you know, contending for titles or trying to make it, you know, deep into the playoffs. Rookies maybe, you know, do not figure into the equation as much as they might for other teams. But I think that a deal structured around Obi Toppin makes a lot of sense. And not so much for me, strictly thinking about the draft, but I think it's a combination of the things you said. Number one is that the Knicks are sort of trying to play uh, Toppin in this role that just isn't him. He's taking a bunch of threes. He isn't really, you know, getting moving towards the rim off the ball a whole lot. Um, He's essentially, you know, a big floor spacing wing. And I do think that in the NBA, you need those nowadays, but sort of forcing Toppin into that role, in my opinion, is not the answer. So if you have that, And then you take into account as well that he's a restricted free agent next summer. You're going to have to make a decision on his contract at one point or another. So I think, you know, why not move it up to this offseason? Try to see what you can get for him. You know, like you said, the Knicks can only have so many roster spots in the future, especially since they own a whole bunch of their own, uh, you know, first round picks. I think all the way until up to 2029, I want to say. And, and they've got the surplus, the protected. And and that's why, like, you know, they're not going to use all. Like, I feel like every it's the worst kept secret around the league that they are building up the star package. And mm-hmm. I think to shift a little bit into tangent world, but you look at Phoenix after moving their guts out to add Duran on top of their cap. And, you know, feels like they took the bottom three layers out of the Jenga tower to add one more brick on top. Um, same thing with Atlanta, three unprotected first for DeJounte. Same thing with Cleveland, the depth mm-hmm. and the three unprotected first for Donovan. Same thing with Minnesota, the depth and the five first for Gobert. Um, you want to say same thing with Philadelphia, who sent three picks for Harden and Melton combined, mm-hmm. right? Like these teams that are moving these unprotected draft picks, it's not about the three picks it's about the stepian rule and the six years of control that you've now mortgaged away for one to two players and in a league where you're watching teams like boston great roster los angeles after the deadline great roster denver stellar depth miami pretty great depth you got stories like caleb martin making headlines just because they've been so impressive i i can't help but think the knicks for the Knicks, the time is now to position themselves to get one more rookie up the shoot, right? They've got Grimes, they've got uh, Toppin and Quickly before him, and the rookie scale years are running out. These guys, like you mentioned earlier, are going to have to be extended, and that's why you know you said it. I've been thinking about it since then. That's why this, this is where this came from. Um, they've got to get a fresh rookie scale deal up the pipeline. So I, I love your idea of, of trying to get into that first round, especially if it's in that twenty-five to thirty range, because then you get the extra you know, the year, the team option, uh, you don't have to negotiate a second round contract. The rates decided um, they've gotten steals like Jericho Sims for, you know, like four years, 8 million, right? That was a Brock Aller machination. Um, but I, I just think that this is the time uh, for the Knicks to look like someone, look for someone like Max Lewis. You know, they could get 
uh, Zach Blatter from the Strickland loves Trey Lyles and is always telling me the Knicks need to get Trey Lyles. So maybe that's someone they could entrust with the backup four spot. I would look more at New Jersey native Nasrion Reed. Um, but whatever it is, the Knicks could grab someone that could play the backup four for the MLE as Jeremy Cohen, our capologist here at Knicks film school has oh so brilliantly detailed and develop someone like Max Lewis up the pipeline, send him to Westchester for his whole first year. Give him reps being part of a bigger offense where he doesn't have teammates that he doesn't trust or different things, right? How would you feel about that being the play now looking for that reward years later? Could you see the Knicks breaking away from what their draft philosophy seems to be, which age topping quickly grimes, all guys that did McBride, all guys that did several years in college. Um, character right it feels like the way that they've drafted emmanuel quickly like I, I talk about how on this show we love psychos we love insane players we love players that care so much about getting better that they do insane stuff like emmanuel quickly needing to be locked out of kentucky's gyms at 4 a.m every morning because he was staying through the night and working out those are the people the knicks draft right could they look for a jackson a gg jackson someone who i feel like is followed by his reputation. And uh, there's always a, but when discussing how skilled he is at such a young age, Um, could you see the Knicks kind of breaking off from this trend that they've developed to look at a project? I remember asking Mark Berman, if they're at 11 and Johnny Davis and Tari Eason are right there, I had Davis higher on my board and thought they should go Eason in that scenario because they need a big wing they mm-hmm. failed with Cam Reddish, the, the experiment there. And he was like, no, they wouldn't take a project in Eason. They would go with Davis. And I was like, oh, they view Eason as a project? Like, ah, I, I just, how do you feel about, about that? Would they switch up? I think that they should. Now, whether they will or won't is a different question. But I think that since those picks, you know, since the Knicks picked quickly or Toppin, sort of the benchmark for where the organization is at and what they're aiming for, I think has changed. The goalposts have shifted a little bit. So now it's what you're saying, right? I think that if you're looking for somebody to contribute right off the bat, then you're probably just going to be looking inside the NBA already. Guys who have, you know, a few years of experience, who you know what you're going to be able to get from them, you know what they're bringing into the locker room, things like that. So if the Knicks do go into the draft, then, you know, I'm absolutely down to get more of a long-term upside play. I think you hit the nail on the head, a big wing, someone, you know, who is athletic, who can shoot the ball from deep, which I think is really important because, you know, the Knicks were among the most uh, three-point shooting teams in the league, taking a bunch of threes, didn't convert on as much. But if you're able to sort of double down, take a bunch and make more in the future, then, you know, you sort of have, I think, the frame going forward. And we've seen it in these playoffs. It's a make or miss league right now. You've got to make threes in the postseason. I think the Knicks can still use a little bit more floor spacing, a bit more size and athleticism on the wing. And I do think that I have a few names in that range, 25 to 35, who I think would be really interesting for New York to take a look at. Love it. Let's hear them. Let's talk about it because on a live stream, I got a super chat that said, what's the archetype of player we need? What if the Knicks could only get one archetype, right? They, they get a coupon and it says you get one player, this archetype, which coupon do they take? I said, big wing, you know, they, mm-hmm. they were looking for that kind of player with reddish to transform reddish into a different kind of player. Um, that, 
didn't happen or materialize in New York, in my opinion, for a plethora of reasons, both relating to Reddish himself, the coaching staff's lack of faith in him, yada, yada. Um, and it's leading to, to, it led to Fisher in the front office, right? So obviously that didn't go how the team wanted. Who's someone fresh that they could bring in and, and try to say, Hey, your, your thing out there is, is being long, strong and athletic and tall. And yeah, who you got? My favorite target for the Knicks is CD Sissoko from the G League Ignite in France. I'm a big fan of CD's game. Um, I've been watching him for a few years now. I watched him debut for the Ignite in person. Nice. Watched him a few other times live throughout the year. And I think that he is being very undervalued uh, when it comes to mainstream draft coverage, especially. I think CD, the biggest sort of question mark about him is whether he does one thing at a spectacular rate and maybe he doesn't right now you know he shot about a little over 31 percent from three didn't take that many threes per game even if his volume for the season was pretty good i do i do think you know he had a pretty bad slump towards the end of march to end the season that really brought down that percentage so that's worth looking into as well he had a month where he was hitting almost 50 percent of his threes Obviously, you know, I don't think that's where he's going to get to in the NBA, but he's not going to be a 32% shooter. I think he'll shoot, you know, 36, 37, be fine in that regard. And then after that, it's really just a matter of him knowing how to make the right play on both ends. CD is athletic. He's long for starters. And, you know, with the Knicks sort of potentially looking for this big wing mold, I think Sissoko is particularly interesting because I think that, his development towards that has already started in a way. Um, when I first started watching CD, you know, he played in, in Spain, which is where I'm from. So he was playing, you know, in the third division there. And he was very much a guard um, when he was, you know, going up the youth ranks. He was very much considered strictly a guard prospect, somebody who, you know, was big and athletic, sort of a three and D guard maybe. But once he went over to the Ignite uh, last season, he just played all over the floor. I'm talking minutes at the three, the four. He even played the five a few games. He was guarding Kenny Lofton Jr., Kenrich Williams a few times. Yeah. So I'm just very big on his versatility on both ends. I think he's a good, not a great athlete, but good enough, I think. And then all the connection that he brings, the projectable shooting, the athleticism, I think he's the total package. And he doesn't need to contribute right off the bat next season. But I do think that there is a pretty short-term path to him being valuable, you know, pretty immediately. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. Absolutely, man. I think Saidi's a lot of fun. 
Um, does he, uh, can I just throw some names at you and you'll be like yeah. that he's of that vein or could be of that vein. The, if Draymond Green is one end of the spectrum and Josh Akogi is the other end of the spectrum and Josh Hart is somewhere in the middle, you know, is that like a, a line you're comfortable sorting him on? Or would you say because of the size, it's a, it's a little different. I feel like he's only like six, six and a half without a, shoes yeah probably like around six six and a half without shoes or probably around six eight in shoes um pretty bouncy i think that he's gonna have to tap into that a little bit more i think his footwork probably still needs a little bit improvement especially once he's driving um just because i think that there was a big adjustment from him having to play in a lot of more compact spaces in europe and then coming into the nba or the g league so to speak um it was so much more open court I think that as he was sort of developing as a youngster, he was really focused all the time on making the right play. And this year was very developmental, not just for him, but for everybody on the Ignite team. So having to sort of, um, I would say, you know, just be comfortable making mistakes and be comfortable trying new things out and things like that. That was a little bit of an adjustment at first for CD in the first few months of the season. He was really shy and timid on the floor. Like he didn't really do a whole lot until maybe November, December. But I think that, yeah, that spectrum makes sense. I would say that Josh Hart makes a lot of sense um, in terms of how he can just grab and go off of rebounds. I think Josh Hart is excellent at that. I think CD can be really good at that as well. Um, in the half court, he's not really going to be creating his own shot, I guess, but he can make the right read. You know, he can attack a closeout. Right. He can drive and kick. He can use a screen here and there, even if he's not going to be getting, you know, 30 ball screens a game, but he's able to play the right way. And I think that with everything that the Knicks have sort of put an emphasis on rebounding, shooting the ball, getting to the rim defense, being able to guard multiple positions. They're ground my and pound. The Knicks are a ground and pound team, man. And, and mm -hmm. I got to say the, the corner three for him, you buy it, you, you buy that. He could camp out in that I corner. Buy it. Then, buy it. then he's he fits he fits Thibodeau because the next I just think um, he hasn't taken a whole lot though he hasn't taken a whole lot but I would say that was more by design um, yeah I would have to like go back and and dive into his stats again but I believe that most of his threes like a really big percentage were just you know above the break threes so maybe there will be a little bit of an adjustment for him in the NBA just kind of having to be that fifth guy in the corner right like a lot of rookies are. Yep. Um, I thought like not to get on a tangent, but like Ryan Rupert, he played in the NBL in Australia with New Zealand. So he was already on a playoff team. And I think that he has some, you know, comparable tools to CD, but he's already used to playing that, you know, that corner shooter role, being in the empty corner or whatever. Um, so that will be an adjustment, but I think that he has all the tools to be a complimentary player. And with Julius Randle, Brunson, Josh Hart, Quentin Grimes, Mitchell Robinson. If you're looking at all of those guys, then his, his game meshes really well with them. Yeah. Well, well, working in tight spaces is something important on the Knicks. Uh, and, and I think Saidi's experience in Europe would, would certainly help there. You look at why Jalen Brunson is so good on New York. And I think it's because despite the fact that he might be sharing the floor with Hart, Barrett, Randall, Robinson, uh, none of which, quarter in quarter out are elite shooters uh mm -hmm. randall in the first quarter an elite shooter after that a little rough um 
Brunson can thrive in those tight spaces because physically he has to. Uh, I always describe I'll, I, he's not short. He's just vertically challenged. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he, he doesn't play short at all. Right. He just bullies. And, and that bulldog kind of mindset to me is, is something that would work well with the society. And when you look at the Knicks, they love guys off the bench that replicate or simulate um, what their starters do. I mean, you saw Robinson, Nerland's Noel, you know, like Hartenstein, 20% assist rate with the Clippers started out in New York, seven to eight, finished the season at like 13, 14, which was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the Knicks like certain kinds of play. And specifically, especially when I talk to, I'll mention him again, our brilliant, brilliant capologist here at Knicks Film School, Jeremy Cohen. He's always talking to me about the types of players that the Knicks like, especially at certain positions. Sidey would really seem to fit their rule, the exception to their rule, which is the Josh Hart kind of guy, the the margin marauder kind of guy that just kills those margins on the stat sheet. there's someone else that comes to mind and it's who Jeremy himself has brought up as a target for New York. If that 25 to 35 range. And like I said earlier, um, you know, with the first rounder, you get that extra year. So I think the Knicks would rather take someone that they see as the 35th pick at 25 than mm-hmm. pick at 35 um, pods, man, pods, Brandon Podzemski. I don't know how much of the hype you buy. There is a lot right now. And it's like surging, surging, surging because of the combine scrimmage performance. So tell our listeners where you're at with pods, how you think he would fit on the Knicks. And and I think what's important is our distinction here that we're talking long-term, right? Sidey could spend his whole first year in Westchester in the corner. (laughs) Um, That could be what he does. And they kind of force him to prove his worth, whatever it is. You know, I, I can say Thibodeau wanted quickly to go to Westchester at first. It was injuries in the preseason that fast-tracked him. The front office saw how good he was, and they said, oh, hell no, Tom. You are not getting away with this one. That kid's playing. Um, But I don't think the team is scared to draft someone in the late first round and send them to the G League for at least a good portion of the year, even with Sidey, but also with someone like Podzemski. How would you like that pick for New York, even especially with the lens to look through that that guy would get a whole lot of on-ball reps down in Westchester – up in Westchester. <laughs> I think it's a good fit, but I have a few question marks. I just think that with Pachemski, there's no question that he's so skilled, like on the ball, right? And he's going to be productive no matter what. We saw that this season at Santa Clara. I mean, he was just stuffing the stat sheet on every occasion that he got. And then, you know, in the draft combine, had a pretty good showing, like you're saying. Didn't measure maybe as well as you would have hoped. I think he was a little shorter then he was kind of billed heading into the season. But overall, you know, for his sort of archetype, for the position that he's going to play on the ball, I don't think his height is too much of a deterrent. And even if he isn't the greatest athlete, like vertically speaking, um, I think he's very coordinated. He understands how to get to his spots. And then his touch really is just elite from everywhere. I think that his touch is really good. But with the Knicks in particular... I just, my biggest question is just, what does he play in the NBA? Is he a point guard? Because I'm not really sure that he is. And maybe he can get there, right? Like 
if he just spends an entire season in Westchester, getting those reps, um, becoming used to playing in the NBA high pick and roll, things like that, then maybe I could see it. But as of right now, I'm a little concerned that it would be a similar case to Toppin where you draft somebody who's very talented and who's going to have a long NBA career on some team. But in terms of the Knicks, I worry that they might try to make him, you know, fit into a position that he doesn't necessarily correlate with, you know, that sort of, uh, what's, what is it? Square peg in a round hole. Yeah. I sort of feel like that might be what happens there. Uh, well, it's what happened with Obi Toppin. Um, Obi Toppin was a pretty unique shaped peg that they wanted in a very regularly shaped hole. And it, it just hasn't worked so far. Uh, apparently the hot yoga with Johnny Bryant hasn't been going well enough to get his flexibility, um, you know, all the way there, but that's my super corny segue to say, let's step back for just a second from specific names in the 23 draft class. I want to get a take from you on the Knicks as a developmental landing spot. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're analyzing prospects, how often do you think, oh, this guy would fit in New York or, Oh, I would love him in New York, but they wouldn't take him. Or what are your thoughts about the team? What they like to look for? Um, and also like when you see prospects go to New York, how do you feel about it? It used to be a place to die. It used to be somewhere that you got drafted and you got the first contract money and your second contract was going to be a minimum deal. That was, that was the lay of the land. Um, it's now a place where you've seen Emmanuel quickly and Quentin Grimes elevate themselves into starter or starter caliber players um, for a playoff team. And I think Mitchell Robinson uh, going from a herky jerky, unreliable, big injury prone all the time. And now gave New York 60 games of really reliable center play and, and looked like a star in the series against Cleveland showed you some struggles against Miami, but you know, that's, Bam out of bio. How do you feel about the Knicks and how they develop players? Do you see big jumps in quickly in Grimes's games that you weren't expecting that you think, hey, maybe they know how to scout guys or maybe they know how to develop guys? Just what, what do you think? What do you feel? Yeah, the lay of the land has gotten so much better, like you're saying. I mean, there's no question about that, right? I just think it's sort of the extent of how much it's gotten better. Um, I think it's still a little too early to tell. But overall, I'm feeling pretty good. I think that with Emmanuel quickly, right, he's sort of the guy that got the most attention and rightfully so. I mean, he was, you know, playing very well and he really, you know, established himself as a very long-term part of the Knicks, I think. Or, you know, if potentially in the future, the Knicks do move him, he's not going to have any issues at all finding a new home. So with quickly, with Grimes, even with Obi Toppin to an extent, right? Because I think that in basketball, just as with other sports, often you have to look at guys through the lens of multiple contracts. So if they're sticking in the league, then even the first team that drafted them, even if they don't stick there, I do think they merit, you know, some credit for their development. Um, That being said, when somebody right now gets drafted to the Knicks, I just think that my biggest question isn't so much about development or anything like that, because I really feel like New York has done a pretty bang up, bang up job of doing that in recent times. Um, pretty similar situation to here in LA with the Lakers where 
maybe, you know, a lot of the talk when it comes to New York teams and LA teams is always on the stars and stuff like that. But both teams have done a tremendous job at, you know, building around the fringes and, and drafting deep talent and stuff like that. So when somebody gets to the Knicks, my biggest sort of thing is just, are they going to get minutes? Where are they going to get minutes? What is going to be their role? Is it going to be the same role as in college? I think even with Emmanuel quickly, and this isn't so much on the Knicks, I think this is more so on Kentucky really, but even with that, you know, I think there are differences in his role and production and just sort of what he was doing out on the floor within his college days going now to his NBA days. So when the Knicks draft someone, I'm really just cautious about, okay, when is the next time that I'm really going to see them play valuable basketball? Yeah, that's fair. I had Deuce McBride 21 on my board, that draft. Loved that kid. Loved the drive. Um, thought he needed to add driving as part of his game, but that was like about it. I thought the defense was going to be perfect if he was out there next to a jumbo. I thought the shooting would translate. I thought the pull-up shooting would translate. And we've seen a relatively unconfident young player go out there and just only take standstill, catch and shoot, open threes, make about 30% of them. And he was taking almost 10 threes a game for Westchester and making 48%, which was like, you had to look it up and double check that those were real numbers type of jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then now you just haven't seen it. So in the NBA at, at the pro level. So I, I just think that it's definitely a question of like, yes, they're going to be developed. Are they going to get reps, which are arguably the most valuable part of development? There's only so much of development that you can mosh posh, makeshift paper mache together and simulate, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am really impressed with the Knicks. I have to say, uh, you know, everything I've heard about their practice facility and the attention to detail they have, they're tracking every shot, the spin on the ball, where it was from, who took it. They've, they've got it all going now. And since Leon Rose has come in, they've really spent a lot in the uncapped areas of the league, coaching, scouting, trainers, uh, equipment, staff, things like that. Like they're just out the wazoo with it now. And, and New York has, has become a desirable place to play. Uh, sorry, Kevin Durant, but it's, it's cool again uh, to be a Nick. I, I just am so curious especially given our, our, you know, discourse that they'll want to get into the, the back of that first. If they don't and they do decide to go the forties, late second rounder, even UDFA route, mm-hmm. do you got a couple deep cuts for us? A couple, you know, not the hits, not, you know, not any of the top five most stream songs on the album, but one of those deep cuts that, uh, I don't know. Sit, like nine by Drake, something, something. One of the one of those album deep cuts that only the real know about. Talk to us. I about have, I have three names for you, and I actually think it's really interesting what you just touched on with Deuce because I was pretty high on him as well coming out of West Virginia. Um, I'm still pretty confident that he's going to have a long NBA career yep. as a backup guard, probably. But he's just you know very steady out there on the floor. But what you were saying, right? He goes out to Westchester and he's hooping out of his mind pretty much. He goes, plays some minutes with the Knicks and it's like, all right, he's shooting 30% from three. He's just taking, you know, the easiest spot ups that you can get. And even when he's hopping into those, maybe he's not looking that confident. Um, I think that's just such a, an interesting part of, you know, drafting somebody and developing somebody because a lot of the time, 
if they're playing a certain role in the G League, but then when they get called up to the main roster, so to speak, they're having to play a completely different role. Uh, I'm just not sure what you know the real value in those reps is for your organization. Obviously, it's benefiting the player as a whole. He's improving in general, but if this isn't what you're going to bring the guy on the court to do once he's on an NBA floor, then I'm just not sure what the point is of drafting him and playing him in a role that he's not ever really going to fulfill. That being said, um, what I was trying to get at with that is Bobby Klinsman out of Wake Forest. Hey there. And this is somebody who really intrigues me in that sort of early to middle second round. I worry that his floor is actually Orlando at number 36, but if he does fall further than that, I think that this is somebody that the Knicks should be very seriously considering for a number of reasons. The biggest one is that with Bobby, you know, you watch him and a lot of his tape, because he really didn't, he didn't really play that much at Wake Forest. Most of his tape comes from when he played with Sweden's youth team. And so, you know, he's so much more big yeah. and athletic and even skilled just because he's gotten, you know, different chances to develop and whatnot relative to the level of competition that he's out there making it look really easy. And, you know, when he's getting a board and he's pushing and, you know, he's spinning and finishing and dunking or whatever, and he's wearing number 34, you're like, oh, okay. Like, is this Giannis, you know, am I like, am I onto something here that nobody else is onto? But even though all of that is great, I also think that Bobby has a pretty safe floor. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, so even though all of that is great, I think that Bobby has a pretty safe floor. He shot, I think, 37% from three at Wake Forest. Mm -hmm. He shot 39% from three in high school at Sunrise Christian in Kansas. And then with Sweden, he was taking a lot of threes, even if that percentage did fall to 25%. So even if he never develops into this sort of, you know, transition mismatch monster that can also, you know, pass off the live dribble and stuff like that, I think that he will be able to contribute to an NBA team just through his size and athleticism being 6'10", seven foot wingspan, super coordinated. And then he's going to be able to make the three ball, I think, rebound really well. And he's going to be able to pitch in here and there, passing, handling, and just doing all the little things. Not every billionaire has the stamina, the dedication, or the fire to become the most unpopular owner in sports. But not everyone is James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks. This is Reign of Error, a new podcast series that gives you a courtside seat for the controversies, scandals, and drama that seems to follow the infamous billionaire. Track Dolan's rise from aspiring musician to the throne of one of the most beloved franchises in sports. Along the way, he'll battle his own players, fans, celebrities, the New York media, politicians, even the Girl Scouts. Reign of Error unpacks the outlandish story over five riveting episodes, detailing how Dolan became a lightning rod of criticism in his quest to outdo his billionaire father, while also asking the $6 billion question, why doesn't he just sell the team? Check out Reign of Error wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. 
up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game, and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Knicks Film School, our motto is look good, play good. And that's why Oakley is the perfect partner for us. Not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our Oakleys. And listen up, because it's officially almost summer, which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now. Check out Oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. Also, did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? Now, I know what you're thinking. GMAC, what the hell is that? Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to Oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information today. How do you feel to stay in the exact same area of North Carolina? Also from Wake Forest, someone who's drawn attention recently, maybe as more than a UDFA guy, maybe Cam Hildreth. Um, any takeaways on him? Is he someone who you have in deep dive and are uncomfortable going in on or whatever it is? I've seen some buzz around him recently. Is that is that a name people should watch out for from Wake Forest just because we're on that team? A little bit, but I think it's more what you said, right? More as a, an undrafted free agent type of target. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, I think I touched on this on Twitter a few days ago, which is that teams now are going to have three two-way contracts with the new CBA, right? Before, yes. they only had two. So when it comes to guys like Hildreth, who you know are pretty productive around the floor, maybe don't have one skill right now to hang their hat on, but you know they have kind of that mold that you're looking at in the next level, I think that Hildreth is one of them, um, you know, in sort of that same mold, I would say, uh, you know, as sort of a, a guard that's a little bit smaller, um, you know, maybe more of a, a guy who I think is going to be able to play on and off the ball at the next level in the NBA. Um, for the Knicks, I really feel like they should be looking at Julian Strother. He's somebody who I think would be a little more interesting just because he's a little bigger, he's more developed, he's more, um, you know, more proven in general, I think, especially as a three-point shooter, which I wouldn't mind if the Knicks doubled up on. So I think more so Hildreth is an undrafted free agent. Um, somebody else to watch out for, they're actually on the opposite end of the spectrum, who's more of a big, but who I think is going to be, you know, a late first round, ra- a late second rounder, sorry, or right after the draft. Right. is Adama Sanogo out of UConn. Yes, yes, um, yes. I think that the Knicks should also take a look at him. Love it. But I feel yeah, like he gets know, taken. There's going to be a lot of opportunities right after the draft to be like, okay, I didn't draft this guy. And, you know, we have to keep in mind, in the second round right now, so much is circumstantial. It's like, all right, I have to work with the agent, with the team, with the player, with the family, et cetera, et cetera. Guys, guys so, will ask not know, to be taken. Austin Reeves is the biggest example. Austin Reeves asked not to be taken because he agreed a two-way contract with the Lakers. 
And now look at him about to hit restricted free agency. Rest is history. Rest is history. He's about to get bagged out from everything I've been hearing. His camp was expecting a 472 offer as like the floor after the regular season. I'm sure that that number has grown a tad. Um, Obviously you get paid for 82, not 16 in the NBA, but those 16 are where you can make yourself a lot of money. I feel like you don't necessarily lose yourself as much money as you can make yourself in the, in the playoffs as compared to the regular season, but you show out in the playoffs and, and you know, I can guarantee some owner out there after Caleb Martin declines his player option for 7.1 million, he'll play this year for 6.8 is going to be like, uh, you know, Fournier, Harris, those guys get like 18 million a year. I would just give them that. Uh, just get that guy. Right. Like I think, I think that that is a thing. Um, but yeah, no, the names you brought up straw there for Nick fans who aren't super familiar. If you watch March madness, if you saw the biggest shot Gonzaga hit all tournament, that was Julian straw there. Um, Sonogo, someone on that con team that really, looked like an NBA prospect. And and I don't want to say player. I want to say prospect, Um, but that was promising. And and we got to see a lot of him because they played a lot of games, but I I think that you brought up some really interesting names with Sonogo, which is that someone where you're like, okay, they've got two top 12 ish centers in Robinson and Hartenstein 15. If you want to be safe, uh, two top 15 centers, is that something where you're like, we can sacrifice the upside of Jericho Sims and reset a, at age there? Or would you bring in Sonogo as like a four or five hybrid, right? Playing that like Omari Spellman role they used to have him in when they, when they brought Spellman in on, as like a total upside shot um, at having a guy who would stick. Like, but this one would be younger and you know, more promising, whatever. Like, how, how would you see that going? Um, or would you just see that, like, you know, now there's three two-way spots. The Knicks are going to stay under that second apron. It doesn't matter, and you wouldn't replace anyone. Yeah, I think for me, you know, if I take Sonogo, I'm like, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. You know, I'll develop him and figure it out in the future. Um, you know, he's still really young. He, you know, he, he's played three years at UConn, but he just turned 21 a few months ago. And with him, I just think that it's what you're saying, right? He's still very much a prospect. At the college level, he's going to feast. But in the NBA, I'm just not entirely sure what he does right now. Um, he's going to be productive, like I guess, right? I mean, if you put him out on the floor, I would bet on him to figure it out. But with him being a little bit smaller, uh, with him, you know, sort of playing that more college-heavy game in terms of how he paces himself, yeah. how he you know, uses a lot of paint touches and things like that, Um, He's very efficient, don't get me wrong. And he doesn't even need to dunk the ball to be efficient. But just in general, looking towards the NBA, he's going to really need to develop some sort of bread and butter. Um, I just don't really know that he can do anything outside of finishing from close range. Yeah, the Knicks, like we discussed earlier, have been big on translatable skills. What can you do day one for my team on the court? Uh, Grimes, brought shooting and defense quickly brought shooting that was like good and defensive instincts to be developed um topping pace iq passing right he's a great passer he's smart um jericho sims functional athleticism 
Deuce McBride, desire for the ball, right? Like a point of attack defense. There's something that these guys bring to the table from day one. And then they develop the other stuff too, but to an NBA level, you know, that's why some people were like, Oh, if they Holmes goes like, should the Knicks do an upside shot? And like, I feel like getting drafted to New York is how Dayron Holmes gets stuck being Rashawn Holmes, which is mm-hmm. a third string center who never touches the court <laughs> and is, isn't developed, doesn't get any of those reps, you know? So I, I do think it's important, like looking at guys, even if the Knicks are going to stray a little bit from their typical philosophy of multi-year college players um, and go for someone like Sidey, like they've never drafted out of the ignite um, or go for someone like pods. They haven't drafted from, a school like Santa Clara, they, they pretty much stick to, I mean, they did Dayton, but that was, that was the top 10 pick. So a little different, <laughs> you know, I feel like they stick to Houston, Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, Kentucky again, <laughs> these bigger schools with coaches, they know there. they want the inside scoops on guys. Um, same way, you know, Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers took Kenny Pickett because they practiced at the Steelers training facility all year. Um, and they had all the inside scoops on him. Like, I, I just think that they like those inside scoops. So Louisville, another program that Wesley has connections at Oregon, they loved Duarte, you know, they like reaching out to their people and finding things out. So, uh, you know, Santa Clara, I'm not sure they have people at Santa Clara, but Podzemski does intrigue me as someone where say that the pre-draft hype peaks and starts to drop a little and he's there at 28 and they traded top in for that pick. Like, I think that fits like That's a glove. If you send him to Westchester year one, it's just what value will you get? What value will you get out of that? And, and that's why I can't see them going GG Jackson, no matter what, because I just don't think he makes it to their range. Like I, I feel like someone in their early twenties will, will just bite. Well, they'll just call it and bite, you know, um, they should, one, they yep, should. Yep. one name of a return of not a potential returner who kept their name in the draft wanted to ask you about, um, Kobe Brown, large <laughs> wing, right? What doesn't he fit for New York? What does he fit? How, how would you feel about that? I feel like he's a decent example of like, not all big wings are the same. Definitely uh, not. And <laughs> I'm not even sure if at this point, I guess, right. I mean, I, I guess he would have to play the wing in the NBA, right? Like I, I think <laughs> I, I'm, not even, I'm not entirely convinced that he would, um, you know, I think Kobe Brown, once he gets into the NBA, it's sort of that, you know, question that everyone has about everybody. What is he going to do on the floor? Um, in college with guys like him, with guys like Jalen Wilson out of Kansas, for instance, it's like, all right, you can do a little bit of everything and you're super skilled. You can handle the ball. You can post, you can shoot over the top. You understand how to attract help and then use that help to make your teammates better. So you're able to do all of that at the college level. And Kobe Brown is somebody who, you know, I think that he showed that he could do that at Mizzou. He's somebody who, you know, he was originally, I think, going to go back to college um, his name was thrown out there with Kentucky quite a bit, but he ended up staying in the draft. And I think that he made a great decision. Honestly, I, I would expect Kobe Brown to get drafted come next month. Yep. I think kind of going back to what we touched on all the way back at the beginning of this podcast, so many guys pulled out of the draft that just sort of by default, despite having played no games 
or not really, you know, worked out with any new teams or anything like that. Some of the guys who stayed in the draft saw their stock go up simply by keeping their name in it. And I think that Kobe yeah. Brown is probably one of those names. Yeah, I would agree. And that's why I brought him up because we're talking pre-draft hype with Podzemski and, and guys like that. So, you know, Brown, I feel like now gets post pre-draft hype, right? Like he, he kind of has elevated into maybe a, a next tier of available guys just with how many guys in that range state um and that's the thing the game has changed the landscape is is in a different shade of colors now like the money that green in college is just different man it's different now and so it's very viable to stay an extra year to timmy your way into being a school legend right i i think that that's like a really real thing um i want to go to like strother makes me think of Hawkins, who I just like think is a Laker, they're going to take Hawkins or Max Lewis. It's so they're so loud about it. Um, I would keep an eye on Leonard Miller as well for the Lakers at 17. You think he makes it that far? Uh, I think well, he's, been rising. Thunder, he's been rising. I think he can be a late lotto pick, um, but never below 20. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The tools and the, the production and, and the ignite like good stuff. I got to ask you a question, not Knicks related, but this is my NBA draft podcast. So when there's NBA draft news, got to break it down with my guest, Bilal Koulibaly, reportedly promised by a lottery team. I think it screams Presti <laughs> and Oklahoma City, considering they drafted Usman Jiang last year. They could get Koulibaly this year. Just hit on one of those two and you've got the guy you wanted, right? kind of funny to just take large French wings until one <laughs> works out. I don't know, man. I think that um, Dallas like definitely came off as first as like not being the team that would do it. If you know, you don't have to spoil, but what kind of team, you know, like makes that kind of promise this early. I feel like the Knicks knew they were taking top in or waiting for him for so long before the draft at that spot. Uh, Wesley really wanted quickly, like to make it a little Knicks related, you know, like teams having a guy so far ahead of the draft that they know they can reach on and get, what do you make of these kind of situations? And uh, where, where is Bilal buying, buying a flight to man? (laughs) So there's a few things here. I like Bilal. I think the hype train is getting slightly out of control. Faster than um, they can break down from. <laughs> yeah. Very much so, because I have a question with Koulibaly, and I think that if he's not playing on the same team as Victor Wimbanyama this year, I wonder what his stock truly looks like. If he's being, you know, talked about as a potential lottery pick, or more so, okay, is this just a very good, you know, first round high value pick because i think what you're getting with him of course you're getting somebody who's a very good athlete on the wing and he's going to measure really well and in terms of you know athletic grades and stuff like that he'll grade you know off scale no doubt about that but i do think that there is somewhat of a floor to his game that isn't maybe being acknowledged as much Um, You know, when he's playing with Mets 92 as a pro, he is very much a role player at the end of the day. He's very much somebody who pitches in and contributes around the edges. He has, you know, gotten some more ball handling reps as of recently. 
And it's helped that it's the playoffs over there in France. So, you know, there's just more attention on those games in general. Mm-hmm. But overall, when it comes to, you know, creating his own shot or creating for others or even just handling the ball in any way that isn't really, you know, a straight line drive or, you know, just a take in transition, that is, you know, something that Koulibaly still struggles at. I think that once he gets into the NBA, there is a pretty big leap in the competition that he's facing. And not just that, I think more importantly, in the reads that he's going to have to make. Because right now in the French League, he's playing a very, very narrowed down role. It's very not easy, you know, because obviously you got to go out there and grind and play hard and make the right reads and whatnot. But the reads that he has to actually make are not that many. He plays within his role all the time. So I would say that this, you know, lotto hype is a little bit much for me. I have him more so in that early 20s range. However, it's what you're saying. There's so much buzz about him having a promise already. I think Oklahoma City definitely makes sense. Yeah. I would also be looking out for the Orlando Magic again. At 11. What they did with Chuma Okiki and then with Caleb Houston, how they promised them sort of, and then went on to pick them. I wouldn't be totally surprised if it was the magic involved with Bilal. You know, Grady Dick has been everybody's, this is who the magic are taking at 11. Uh, Cause they're going to go upside at six and Grady Dick at 11. And I feel like Grady Dick could be upside, could not, whether, however you want to see it. I personally am not someone who looks at Grady Dick and is like, he has star upside. I think he can be really good to the point where, in a redraft, he goes top 12, top 10 because he ended up being so steady. But if you're in the lottery, you got, you gotta, you gotta take the swing. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta look for athleticism and, and things that just make you want to swing on guys. So I get long players like Koulibaly, you know, being reached on. I just, are the magic so fading the dick to Orlando hype that they would rather just take whatever Thompson twin or Taylor Hendricks or Jairus Walker, whoever's there at six and then let like play the board there and then make their own board and <laughs> change the board at 11 going Koulibaly. I can really see that. Um, so yeah, but like, I don't know. I, I just like wonder, you know, given where Orlando is at, I'm just not sure that they need to be, you know, taking high upside picks all the time. I feel like now is sort of the time they, they have can guys, really, you know, just sit down analyze their depth and say, okay, this is who we're going to be building around. And now this is what we need to sort of have a more, you know, defined game plan going forward. I think that picking upside and going for, you know, best player available, regardless of, you know, who's on the board is a great philosophy. A lot it's of the time, the philosophy at the end it. of the day, you know, you do also have to build a team at a certain point and you have to pick, you know, who you're building around. So the Magic face a lot of interesting questions. I feel like even Derek Lively, if Dallas doesn't pick him at 10, at number 11, he might make some sense for the Magic. They're just so bad at defending near the rim that having a monster defensive presence like Lively could make sense for them. But Orlando is pretty hard to read this draft. They could go so many ways, like you're saying. The Thompson twins, for sure. I feel like they could probably even look at Anthony Black at six. Taylor Hendricks. That, that would be Walker. the giddy at six pick would be Ant Black at six. I feel like that's that kind of 
that kind of selection. You know, here's a guy that we think isn't a number one, but will be so good as a, as a compliment that, yeah, I don't know. I, my hot take is I'd move Giddy now and get the value so you can prepare to put J-Dub in that starting two spot. Not because I just think Williams is better than Giddy. I think he'll be that long-term, like not right now, but I just love Shea, J-Dub, like whether they hit on Usman Jang or whatever, whoever they've got at the three, like Brandon Ingram trade, right? Whatever it is they decide to do. I love that one, two, three punch of like a longer three. And then those two, like you'd be huge at the one, two, three, um, which would allow you to go with some smaller scale bigs. Like if they want to, I don't know, eventually have a Jeremiah Robinson Earl, like really good version of him. Right. Like, I think that that opens that up. I love the, those kind of bigs paired with Gilgis Alexander. So whatever it is, um, I, I've got one more Knicks question for you before I, I let you run out of here. I know, you know, in the off season, John Macri loves to make guests say what their win total for the Knicks is. For me, my question is the Knicks, you know, you've been told after the draft, the Knicks have drafted a player. Um, you're not told where, right? But you've got a hundred dollar coupon and you can bet it on someone. You don't lose a hundred bucks if you lose, but you do win the money. If you win, who, who's, who's, who's your guess? Who would be the one person? Like if the Knicks did get into this draft, if we're, we've been playing with that hypothetical all episode, who, who would be the guy? I'm going to say, because I, I genuinely believe this. I think that he's the best fit for the Knicks in the range that they could possibly get into. The character is spectacular, a very hard worker, somebody who's in the gym all of the time, somebody who has, you know, no problems doing what the coaching staff asks, asks from him. Somebody who's going to play a ton of positions on the floor, who's going to be versatile, who's going to be able to, I think, shoot the ball from deep. And I really think CD Sissoko is that guy for the yep, Knicks. I knew exactly where that was going. He just makes so much sense across the board in every single way. He's young, but he's mature. He has pro experience, you know, I think three years as a pro right now. And he's only 19, having turned that in April. So I think that experience is going to count for a lot. Even if you know this would technically be his freshman year of college, quote unquote. This is his sort of third year playing grown man basketball. Yes. And... I wouldn't be surprised to see him continue to do that in the future for the Knicks. Absolutely, man. I, I can see it personally. And, and I think that there is a faction of Knicks Twitter that really loves that guy who is going to be really happy to hear this. So welcome, man. First of all, thank you for joining me. Thank you for fielding my questions that were intentionally kind of all over the place topic wise. Cause I think that's how the Knicks have kind of got to think about this draft is not I want to go surfing. It's like, I've got one wave to ride and I've got to watch the ocean, figure out exactly when to get out there and go like, they've really got to snipe this. Right. And so mm-hmm. I kind of made things a little tough on you topic wise. Thank you for dealing with it. Tell the people at home where they can support you. Obviously your YouTube channel floor and ceiling is some of the best, best, best stuff out there. Anything else? You know, YouTube, floor and ceiling, like Chris is saying, TikTok at floor and ceiling as well. And then Twitter, it's up on the screen at Wilco MCV. But that's where I'm going to post all my basketball stuff, all my draft stuff, high school hoops as well. Got a lot of stuff on that coming out soon. 
Got the rest of my 2023 NBA draft scouting reports coming out as well. But yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. It's been a, you know, it's been fun. And I, I think that the fun is only kind of getting started, bro. I think that once we sort of, you know, really get into this month, the draft is totally wide open. I think that there are going to be tons of teams who look at that second round, who look to get value from those guys who are deeper or playing abroad. So I'm pretty excited to see what happens. It is June, everybody. It is draft month. That means you are covered here at KFS on the Draft Class podcast, where I, Chris Percy Iden, uh, take you through a journey through the minds of some of my favorite draft analysts out there. Wilco, thanks for being today's test subject, if we're going with that analogy. Um, thank you, man. And for the people at home, go support Wilco. Go support his content. You will leave smarter, and that's that's it. That's the sell. So thanks, man. And enjoy everyone. We'll be back next week on draft class season two. Have a good one. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.